0: Hello and welcome aboard the Giddy Carousel of Pop, a podcast all about the young person's favourite pop tribune smash hits. What we do is take an old issue of the mag, usually from the 80s, although we may slide a year or two either side of that and have a good poke around its pages with a guest. I'm Simon Galloway and joining me, as always, he's too sexy for his shirt, which means he's probably too sexy
1: for this podcast.
0: It's Mr Gavin Hogg.
1: Every time I think it, I've had the best introduction yet, and that tops all of them, Sy. Si. Thank you so much. <laughs> I am officially too sexy for my shirt now,
0: and the podcast as well. Um, so you've got some news from the
1: uh, Giddy Carousel of Pop Hot Desk. I, I feel like I'm on the news desk. Uh, yes, I have got some news. Um, first of all, a big thank you very much to the coffee, Kofi. How do we say it? Coffee. I think we, we say it coffee, but you spell it K-O-F-I. know oh, so that's what like confuses coffee. me. Yeah. I'm easily confused. Well, yeah. anyway, the K-O hyphen F-I patrons. Si, I've got to tell you, I'm as hopped up as a kangaroo who's had a lifetime supply of jumping beans because we've had not one coffee, not two coffees. We've had 20 coffees bought for us. Wilder. Which is very nice, isn't it? (laughs) So big, 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 big thank yous to uh, Kath Sked, previous guest on this podcast, uh, Richard Drew, the fantastic We Buy Records podcast, and the lovely Viva Lynn. I have to say she's lovely because she's my wife, but she still bought us a coffee. That's nice, isn't it? So, uh, thank you very much to those lovely people. It's very kind. It is indeed. And and if you want to
0: support us, you can do the same. It's very simple and there's no long term commitment. It can be a one off thing or you can buy us as many coffees as you like. As often as you like, it's up to you. Here's how you do it you just go to coffee.com slash pop pod. That's K O hyphen F I dot com slash Giddy Pop Pod, and chuck us a few quid to help keep the carousel spinning. So uh, any
1: other uh, updates from the world of Smash It's and the Giddy Carousel Pop? sigh some very, very exciting news on the news desk as well. Um, I've got to say a very, very big thank you to Rob Freeman, who's uh, one of our Twitter followers and who luckily for me also lives in Sheffield, where I am, because I think it was about a week ago, or a week and a half ago, I got a, a DM on Twitter saying, Oh, hi, I just thought you might be interested. I'm in a music shop, a record shop in Morecambe, and there's a massive load of old Smash Hits magazines from the 80s. Are you interested? I was like, yeah, I am interested. How much uh, are they? And he was like, they want 20 quid for the lot. It's like, I didn't have any idea how many there would be, but I was like, yeah, that'd be great. If you don't mind getting them for me, and I'll come and pick them up, whatever. Next day, he comes and delivers them to my house because he's a proper gent and it was a massive load it was like a huge two big bags full 91 smash hits from 82 up to about 86 20 quid <laughs> didn't even have to leave my house so I was very very grateful so Rob I mean I've said thank you in person but um, I just wanted to take this opportunity on the podcast of saying a big thank you because when we do those episodes it will make it a lot easier than me having to wrestle with a tablet and all that kind of thing he also asked if I could mention the shop in Morecambe it's called Eden Music so if you're ever in Morecambe, go and give them some money and buy some it because they're very nice and they're selling a load of Smash Hits for very cheap. So, uh, yeah, big thanks to Rob. Also, if while I'm doing thank yous, I'm wearing a Smash It's badge that Al from another brilliant podcast, as well as We Buy Records, uh, Chart Music, which I'm sure many of you will know, They uh, look at old episodes of Top of the Pops and go through them over a few hours. And um, I'd sent Al a Top of the Pops badge and uh, by more or less return a post, he sent me a nice Smash It's badge. (laughs) It's like the podcast coming together, isn't it? It's nice. Love amongst the podcast. So thank you, Al, for that. Much appreciated. Yeah, and I've got a thank you as well to to another
0: podcast. Just want to say um, hello and thank you to Ian, who's also known as Pop Rambler on Twitter. He does a podcast called Back to Now, which is all about the Now albums, and uh, he invited me on to talk about. Now five, principally, but we we explored the compilation albums market and scene of of 1985, which is my kind of uh, favorite pop year of, of the 80s. And uh, I didn't have to chew his ear off. Um, so that that episode <laughs> is out now. Um, so yeah, go and check that out. Back to now, uh, search for it on the uh, on whatever podcast app you listen to it on. Uh, right, Well, I think it's about time we welcomed our guest onto the carousel, hopping on for a top pop ride. It's journalist, columnist and podcaster, not to mention digital producer at The Mighty Big Issue. It's Laura Kelly. Welcome aboard.
2: Thank you very much. This is officially now my new favourite carousel. My (laughs) favourite carousel before that was the one on the promenade uh, in Santa Cruz, which is the carousel that's in Lost Boys. (laughs) Wow.
1: (laughs) We're better than that.
2: Even better than The Lost Boys' Carousel.
1: That's amazing. Thank you. That's a real, that's a privilege.
0: Uh, Now, we always say we may slide a year or two either side of the 80s. And that's what we're going to do right now as we venture for the first time into the 1990s. April the 1st to the 14th, 1992 to be precise, uh, with the Fairbrass Brothers from Right Said Fred on the cover, Richard leaning in and puckering up to give Fred a great big kiss on the cheek. As ever, if you want to read along with us, you can do just that, thanks to the Swingerillion Smash Hits Remembered website. You'll find links to the scans of this issue in the show notes for this episode, along with Spotify and YouTube playlists that include pretty much all the songs and artists featured in this issue of The Hits. And you'll also find these links on our website, giddypoppod.home.blog, and we'll post them on our Twitter and Facebook feeds as well. Just search for the Giddy Carousel of Pop or at Giddy Pop Pod. So, Laura, you've chosen this issue for us to examine. I have. And with, without going into too much detail, without giving too much away, why this issue in particular?
2: So we're going to get to, to the, the the particular interview that is very close to my heart uh, a little bit later on, but just to say that it is an interview that was on my walls in my in my bedroom Um, the actual pages which is why i no longer have this issue because i cut it out and it was stuck on my walls until i actually um was in university so when i was in my mum's house when i went to university until uh the 2000s so it was it had a long life so those pages are are absolutely seared into my brain We shall, we shall reveal who it is soon. (laughs) Stick with us, folks. (laughs) <laughs> and what, do you remember when
0: you first encountered Smash Hits? When when did it come into to your life?
2: So it would have been not too um, not too long before this. So when this comes out, I'm ten years old in uh, 1992. So I would have started getting uh, Smash Hits. I think the year before, I think it was in 1991. There was a, a newsagent's on the end of our road called Beakums or, or Beakies, and I used to go down and had my Smash Hits put behind the counter for me every every fortnight, and would go. Down and get it. So yeah, it's um, it was my first magazine subscription, and started a kind of lifelong love for magazines.
1: Was it a magazine you discovered for yourself, or was it through friends or siblings?
2: Or I uh, know absolutely for myself. Um, so it was right around the time that I started to have my own music taste as distinct from my parents. So you know, it's that really kind of important part in your life, which I th- I mean, I was relatively young to start doing that because I was like nine years old. Um, but yeah it was getting away from what my parents listened to not as they listened to really good music but um but starting to have those things that were just mine and smash hits was very much just mine and it spoke to me um in a way that you know that nothing else did i don't think it just had that sense of having a real conversation and making you part of the club
0: and what sort of music was it that that you were getting into around about that time do you remember
2: (laughs) So the main thing that I was listening to at this time—a um, <laughs> little bit of
0: hesitation there.
2: <laughs> well, it, it's in one in one way. I still listen to this record to this day constantly, but it was the soundtrack to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which I was <laughs> I was listening to constantly. Um, so you've got like Faith No More, Primus. Kiss, King's X, and um, kind of that big American rock sound, um, and that, that I mean that really was it was bought on a cassette tape, a pirated cassette tape from Nuts Corner <laughs> Market, which was in an old RAF base just outside Belfast uh, for two pounds, which is how I began to be able to have my own music taste because you could get albums for two pounds from Nuts Corner Market. Um, and yeah, began, <laughs> began my love of rock and roll.
0: Um, but do you remember if you were reading any other magazines around about this time or, you know, and what sort of stuff you were watching on telly? You know, what was your cultural life like around, around this time?
2: So it re- my memories of it are really very music focused. So aside from, I mean, I was obsessed with Bill & Ted, really, really obsessed with Bill and & Ted and still am. I was at the, the, the new one came out last night and I was there at the cinema to see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so apart from that, it's the kind of film that I was really into. I, you know, I don't really remember watching a lot of telly apart from like watching music stuff on the TV and what I could get through that. Um, but I, you know, but I remember the music that I was listening to. There was, you know, they might be giants and Prince and Michael Jackson's bad all the time.
1: How did you find out about new music? Was it mostly telly or mostly Smash Hits or radio or a bit of all three or?
2: Yes, some TV, a lot of, I mean, a lot of it really was magazines because, I mean, there's a few things in this that I'm going to refer to that I think are like the social media of the day. Um, But we just didn't have that access. You didn't, I mean, especially like, if you imagine me I'm like a 10-year-old girl in Belfast which might as well have been the absolute back end of nowhere at that point. There you know um you've still got the troubles going on so bands don't pl- hardly play there. Um it's we I just was totally 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 disconnected from the world and I felt like like all of those things were so far away but when I sat with Smash Hits and then later with um, with Melody Maker and NME, I felt like I was connected to an entire world. And through those pages, I was able to step into a place where things were shiny and fun and rock and roll and where there was characters and interesting people. And then you could go away and, uh, you know, and get the music and then become You've become a fan of that and somehow you became more than you were sat in your little bedroom with, you know, with your song sheets stuck on the walls. So they, they really genuinely were so important to me at that point. The, um, and, and I think just had a, a vitality to them that I don't think that it's really easy to grasp for people now whenever you just have that ability to be, you know, continually connected to everything.
0: So for a, a bit of compare and contrast, um, Gav, what were you up to in April 1992?
1: I was in that difficult period. I'd just finished being um, a student at Polytechnic in, up in Middlesbrough in uh, the summer of 91. And the way, it's, it's a difficult time that between going between being a full-time student, you know, up until your early 20s and then suddenly thinking, okay, now I've got to be an adult. And it's almost like there's two islands... And you're like, there's no bridge that I can see that connects them and I don't know how to get a boat between them and I can't swim and I don't know really what I'm going to do. So I was having quite a strange time. I mean, you know, I was all right, but I I didn't really – I was struggling with that transition, you know, to not being a student anymore. The the Christmas before, i just started working at the Hour Price, so the Christmas of 1991. I was working at the Hour Price in the Cleveland Centre, a nightmare of chrome and mirrors in Middlesbrough Town Centre. Then a few months on the dole and doing a few bits and bobs. Um, and then I think it was around this time that this issue came out, I got a job uh, with the Inland Revenue just because it's like, well, I've got to earn some money. What else am I going to do? So Rock and roll. That, yeah, man. <laughs> Smash the system from within, yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, pretty boring office work, a lot of data. But on the plus side, what was interesting about it is it was the first kind of early kind of internet thing. There was a thing called TI, the Taxpayer Index on the computers. And uh, once you had an account set up, you could basically type people's names in and find out their taxpayer address. So I remember like making a list of like, (laughs) I remember finding Damon Albarn, Michael Jackson's, uh, you know, his uh, accountant in the UK. And we, (laughs) our London, our our district was called LP33, London Provincial 33, because at that, I don't know if it's still the same now, but then... The tax districts that you the officers were looking after were geographically quite a long way away from where the people lived. So in LP33, we had all kinds of stars from telly. I remember we used to have the files for Rula Lenska, Donna Stell, <laughs> Windsor Davis, you know, all the big names of the showbiz world. So I used to take magazines down into the, the big, they were like these massive stock filing rooms downstairs. And you could just sit and hide in there. And I used to go and, like, look for the famous people and just read what they were doing and look at their, like, royalty statements. Because (laughs) it was the early days of satellite TV. And, like, Windsor Davis would get, like, 20p for an old episode of It Ain't hour Fot Mom from, (laughs) you know, Korean telly or something. It was great. (laughs) I had a great time. Um, So, yeah, so so there was that. And then also, um, not long before, I'd just done the first uh, first issue of my – my what only became two issues fanzine, um, <laughs> but that was that was a lot of fun. And um, you know, talking about, I think the influence of Smash Hits still runs through this. What was the fanzine called? Oh, sorry, the fanzine it was called um, Bag of Tricks and Candy Sticks. It was a, a Captain Beefheart lyric that I really liked, and um, I interviewed Ted Chippington for this one, just postal interviews. And one of my questions, I think, I think you'll see where the influence came from. I said, "Is there anything worse in life than being locked up for a week with only one episode of Terry and June on a videotape, seven pot noodles, twenty-four cans of cheap lager, and all the readers' digests and what high fives of the last two years for company?" That's quite a smash, it's isn't it?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Sounds like my life
0: during lockdown, to be honest. but
2: <laughs> Could be worse.
1: <laughs> I also, I also did some questions with um, Phyllis April King, who was um, Ivor Cutler's. Uh, partner, and and she was a poet, and um, and I asked her questions like instead of asking her questions about her poetry or things like that, I asked her, um, "What did you dream last night?" And did you have any childhood pets? Yeah, it was that <laughs> question. What was your favourite meal? So I think, yeah, I think the influence of Smash It, though I'd not read it for several years by that point, it was still running through me, you know, like uh, like blackpool through a stick of rock, but yeah. <laughs> That was me. What about you, Sid? What were you up to in April '92? I was I was at college. I was eighteen,
0: and uh, I was doing a, a media BTEC. And as part of that, I was doing writing for the college magazine, but I was doing college radio as well. And uh, I've, I've found, been digging through, uh, and I've got I've, well, I've dug out loads of tapes and stuff. So I've got some tapes of, of my college radio shows from from the first few months of of 1982, which. I don't think I've listened to since. If I'm feeling brave, right at the very end of the podcast, I might put a little clip on so you can have, a, it, have a listen to me. It, do it, do it, do it, do it.
2: <laughs>
0: so with with my proper um, native Sheffield accent as it as it used to be, um, but in terms of of the the music and stuff that I was listening to absolutely not represented in smash hits at all um and i found uh, i used to i used to tape the songs that i wanted off um off music tv shows so i'd always have a, i'd have a special tape on the go and here's the the, the one from from that period uh, a BASF E195 so that's 3 hours and 15 minutes this covers december 91 to august 92 and uh among the tracks on on this that are from around about this time Nirvana, Diesel Park West, Gun, uh, The Cure, Right Said Fred, Gavin Friday, Nick Cave, Morrissey, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, So that probably gives you more of an indication of, of where I was at. Um, yeah, just massively into music, but not anything of the sort that would be in Smash It at that time. I'd, I'd stopped getting Smash Its um, the beginning of, of 91, so just over a year before this. I was buying Melody Maker and Enemy every week, Q every month. And I think Vox was out by this point. So I was getting Vox, probably Select as well, buying that occasionally. And the, the other big one for me, which kind of shows my um, anorak tendencies, uh, was Record Collector. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> used to love that, lists of uh, records and, and things. I'd I, 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 even wrote a few articles and sent them off to them and they must have been so boring that they didn't even get printed. So, oh.
2: Too boring for record collector? Oh.
0: Can you imagine?
2: <laughs> Maybe you were too exciting for record collector.
0: Maybe, yeah, I'll change the narrative and tell myself that. <laughs> As mentioned, this is the first 90s issue that we've looked at and thankfully we've got Laura here to, to hold our hands, be our guide on, on this, this ride um, on the carousel. So it's, it looks familiar on the outside. You know, you've got the, the logo there that's, that's been in place since 1985. So far, so good. But do you notice top left-hand corner, little yellow writing, all new. We'll find out what that means as, as we go through. But in terms of Smash it's that that we've looked at before and comparing them to, to this one, it, it looks and feels very different. Um, there's lots of bold colors going on, lots of big fonts, little fonts. It's very strange choices in, in layout. It's, it feels very busy in places and um, little distinction between bits of features. And it's very photo heavy as well. But you've got some uh, familiar names uh, amongst the, the, the staffers there. So looking down, Fred Deller, Tom Doyle, Sean Pattendon, Sylvia Patterson, Miranda Sawyer, William Shaw, Editorial Director, Dave Hepworth. Not David, Dave Hepworth. But Editor at this point is um, Mike Souter, who some of you may know as one of the scary ones off The Apprentice when they do the uh, the interview episode of The Apprentice. Mike's one of those. He, he doesn't uh, suffer fools gladly. But um, Laura, you, you know him. Uh, you've met him a few times through your, your work with the PPA and, and you've assured us that he's not as scary as, as he may come across on The Apprentice.
2: He's he's definitely not. So in, in one of my many missions to make most of my life about smash hits, um, we did have him appear at some of the festival stuff that I've worked on for, for PPA. And we also gave him PPA Scotland Hall of Fame award, um, which, you know... I don't know that everyone knew was quite so much for his work at Smash Hits, but um, <laughs> but certainly for me, that's why I was thinking about. I mean, he also has done uh, FHM, he's done Maxim, he launched uh, Shortlist and therefore kind of really changed the face of magazines for, for a lot of people um, and kind of did that movement from the kind of lads mags of the 90s through to men's magazines and the kind of... Um, more modern approach i suppose of shortlist. So yeah, so he's done an awful lot of stuff since um, but yeah, i think most people just know him as the scary bloke off the telly.
0: <laughs> and we've got uh, Mark Frith rising through the uh, through the ranks as well, who's uh, editing the, the the news features that would go on to be the editor of uh, Smash. It. Is that somebody you've uh, encountered as well?
2: Yes, uh, I have also had him <laughs> on stage um, at Magfest, the event that I organised as part of PPA, being interviewed by one of your previous guests, by McElhenney. So, uh-huh. uh, so yeah, it was a, it was a good smash hits double hander <laughs> there on on the stage. Um, I was tickled pink I I cannot tell you how excited I was because I I remember buying the magazine uh, when when Mark was the editor so yes I was I was utterly delighted and we did get some very good uh, smash Hits anecdotes at the time as well so yeah it was beautiful
1: have you got a list of names that you're ticking off people that you've met yeah
2: just working my way through them all yeah
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah, this person did this person work for smash hits now not interesting yeah
2: exactly they they seem they don't seem quite right for this this (laughs) particular event there's just something missing it's the fact that they weren't in smash (laughs) hits
1: <laughs> it's like the i spy book of x smash its journalist and you are just going through 20 points for mark ellen 15 points for a frith yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah. oh no frith gets more points than that from me i'm uh, i was a big <laughs> fan again you got to remember i'm a i'm a 90s native you're you're here with at the moment
0: uh, so looking through that that front cover um as mentioned right said fred are our cover stars too sexy america goes mad for right said fred Plus, Cicero, Mannix, Star Witches, vote for Bean. And then that all new bit that's in the top is kind of revealed when you get to the bottoms. It's gossip, news, posters, quizzes, fashion, star signs, reviews. So that's kind of what we're dealing with here. And when when we look at the contents page, well, it reveals even more. Because the thing that I would refer to as the beating heart of Smash It's, which is bits,
1: it's gone. Where is Bits? <laughs>
0: um, so that that appears to have been replaced by Start, but also a few other things. I think Up, Caught in the Act, and, and New are kind of like Bits rebadged and, and split out and separated, and it's kind of peppered a bit more throughout the magazine. should also mention as well, um, it's very poster-heavy. And this is where we discovered that the the focus of Smash It's is changing from being just about pop music to encompassing um, stars of film and, and TV. So Marky Mark, Julia Roberts, Christian Schmidt, um, Billy Warlock, the great Billy Warlock, Yay! and uh, <laughs> Billy Warlock, <laughs> yeah, and uh, William Baldwin. That's that's your posters. There's, there's also Brian Adams on the back cover, but he doesn't seem to get mentioned as a mention of the poster. So yeah, Gavin, I don't know if you if you've got any observations
1: before you know, on the differences before we get stuck into to the rest of the map. Yeah, I mean we can talk about them as we come across them, but you've already kind of mentioned the main one is just how much colour there is. It's like someone's got a skip load of M and M's and just you know, <laughs> scattered them to the four winds, and it's just there's no space anywhere. It's very colourful, a bit too much for my old man's eye. But, you know, <laughs> that's what the kids might have wanted at the time. But, yeah, it's incredibly colourful, but to the point, yeah, where it's a bit distracting. And and as you've pointed out, the, the posters, it's a real kind of film focus, isn't it, an actor focus rather than bands and singers. And I found that really strange to look at the posters and see Julia Roberts and William Baldwin. yeah. That's not the smash its I know, you know, so, No, if, if, uh... it, it does feel like a very different
0: um magazine mm. to, to, to what we've dealt with before, so Laura, that's why you need to kind
1: of guide us through this <laughs> yeah. be gentle with us Laura
2: as a as a, a a definitely a young person at that time the the bright colors were working for me. I'm pretty certain that's why I probably picked it up to begin with was just like, look at it, it's shiny, it's fun. <laughs> like, but I—I I mean, I am a sort of a well-known magpie, so generally shiny things. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of in for that. <laughs> this is one of those weird things, right? That um, though I love smash hits, as as you can tell, really the music that I'm into and the music that I was even into then—it's actually not really very good smash hits music. <laughs> <laughs> like most of the songs in this. Edition or terrible, um, but, but for some reason that just didn't seem to matter at all. It was just because it was funny. We we turn
0: onto uh, into start or bits, formerly known as uh, proper, um, which it, it's odd, and this happens a lot in in the magazine in that that the headline of the piece or, or or the main title of the piece is is on the right hand page. Um, yeah, the, the, it all starts on the left hand page. I'm sure there was you know some some thinking behind that and the first person we see macaulay culkin and why are we seeing him
1: we've seen him because he's getting strangled Apparently, it's a horrific <laughs> photograph
2: <laughs> it is it's horrible it's quite the in retrospect he
1: looks genuinely upset i find that photo quite shocking i'm sure it was just the moment it caught you know i guess it was just some larks and bants and uh, everything was fine you know what's about him getting loads of money
2: five million squid is a lot of money, even more money back then than it is now.
1: But yeah, I, I don't know why they chose. Why did they choose that photograph? I, I don't know.
2: I mean, I suppose it's got us all talking. So the thing I was going to say about the about the pages and the way that it's designed is, um, it's much more newspapery. So that's like the newspaper thing, isn't it? You know, of always having that's your important page. Mm. You get the big photo on that page, and so I think Smash Hits at this time does does have that slight feel of kind of tabloid newspaperiness um, and that front section certainly feels a bit more tabloid newspapers than than it maybe did in the past
0: yeah that was that was one of my observations actually that it feels uh, very much like one of the gossip columns from from the tabloids um and that it's um very short little bits of information. Jason Priestley, and they jumps onto Beverly Craven having a baby, and then Warren Beatty, and then uh, mentions Daisy Chainsaw, and that James are doing a gig at Alton Towers, and then just one of the bits is Luke Perry fancies Winona Ryder. On to the next bit, and so it's just like this, this like ticker tape of, of gossip that's just kind of flying past. And it does. It does feel very kind of um, yeah tabloid, and I think some of the f- photography as well. Some of the photos that are used in there, it's that early kind of paparazzi feel that, that's going mm. on to it. So it's that pap and gossip combination that I think is going on with this. And I guess it's influenced by by the tabloids. But I think as David Hepworth uh, said to us, the newspapers stole everything from Smash It's except the staples. Um, so, so I think we, we can see, we can see that influence going both ways here, but certainly the beginning of that, that kind of gossip culture, being part of magazines and being a wider part of, um, newspapers.
2: Mm.
1: No, I think that's right. And I think it's reflected in the fact that it's, the content is much more showbizzy than, than just music as well, isn't it? You know, like the papers would have been. Yeah. You know. But
0: all, almost as a matter of of inconsequence, and in that it's, it's not really followed up at all. The, the the first pop star we see in this is is Jimmy Somerville, funnily enough, being uh, in front of a crowd of photographers. In uh, Piccadilly Circus, and, and the piece is about, well, I'll just read the piece out. On Thursday, March 5th, just under 200 people gathered in Piccadilly Circus, central London, to protest against Britain's ancient gay soliciting lords. Organised by Outrage, the lesbian gay rights group, The Kiss In, led by Jimmy Somerville and Andy Bell from Erasure was to protest against the law that states it's a criminal offense for gay men to chat up, swap names and phone numbers or even wink at each other in public. The crowd stood by the Eros statue for an hour then walked to parliament to try and lobby MPs and it doesn't really go well it doesn't go any further than that. It just mentions that uh, and it kind of feels inconsequential it being there but looking at this, you know, from sort of, you know, almost 30 years on, it's like, wow, you know, with how far we've come from those days <laughs> and, and just you know, what it's talking about there. Um, but it, it does seem a little odd for, for that to be in the monster, the kind of tittle-tattle that's in Smash It. So for that to be kind of, that's a very serious subject that, that, that they're dealing with, and but they're not, they don't feel like they're giving it much weight.
2: But then that's, I think that's probably quite a good thing because they're telling it in a way that, is accessible and is just, you know, the, having that kind of celebrity edge to it means that it's something, they're they're talking about it like it's just a normal thing that is one of the other normal things that are going on. Um, so to me, I actually quite liked this and I quite liked the tone of it as well because it wasn't, it, it was light, but it wasn't disrespectful or, and it wasn't, it, it certainly to me gave you the idea that um, you know whose side they're on and they're on the right side, but they're not making too much of a big deal of it. So it's, you know, um, you know, growing up in quite a culturally conservative place, um, those sorts of things were important, you know, that, that to have that representation um I'm like a bit of background my my mom actually um her housemate was the guy who took the um the government to court to make it be not illegal to be gay in Northern Ireland so like the the law in Northern Ireland was only overturned um, that sex between men was was illegal until 1982 so yes yeah, so there it, there was something that was kind of thought about a lot in our household and um and so to kind of see those things I think is is positive and to see those people being portrayed as role models, which I think that the the way that that photograph works and the way it works with the text is very much saying, you know, these are, these are your people. These are the people that you're with. You're with Jimmy Somerville, you know, you're with Andy Bell. These are, these are your guys. And the people who think that they're wrong, aren't your guys. And that's, there's something very powerful about that and very, in an understated way,
0: sticking it to the man.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really like sticking it to the man, so that, that, that's very attractive to me. There's more, much more of that later.
1: <laughs> Laura, we need to, I feel like because we were talking earlier on about um, Bill and Ted's and you were saying how much it meant to you, because I had no recollection uh, and no idea at all that there'd been a television programme.
2: That would be for the best.
1: <laughs> really? <laughs>
2: yeah so the thing about bill and ted is that it really does rely (laughs) as the name would suggest on bill and ted (laughs) (laughs) if you just get two other losers one of whom has blonde hair and one of whom has dark hair to play them it really doesn't work (laughs) i mean i don't think that i probably need uh a degree or some sort of qualification to know that I kind of feel like they should have been able to guess that <laughs> but they, they didn't guess that and this monstrosity happened so I advise everyone to avoid it here we've got Mr Bean doing no not the biscuit tin which is the greatest of all of the features in smash hits <laughs> I love it. like the regular furniture. No, not the biscuit tin. I absolutely adored.
0: I'd, I'd not encountered this before, so this is this is a new thing for me.
2: Oh, so I should take with. The, I should probably take us through the rules, right? No, yeah, not yeah, the biscuit yeah, tin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, not the biscuit tin is for me the distillation of everything that Smash Hits is about. Right? It's <laughs> it is just the absolute pinnacle of Smash Hitsiness for me. Um, I know that you two will totally disagree with me on this, but you know, hear me <laughs> out for this moment. So basically, what happens is you have a biscuit tin, as the name would suggest, and it's got hundred questions in it. The person has to pick out twenty questions, and they're only allowed to pass on one. And the the, the questions, I mean, the, the questions run the gamut from we've got are you a good dancer, through to if you were in a plane crash, would you eat other human beings to survive? ah perfect Um, so i so i love the biscuit tin very very deeply love the biscuit tin this one is kind of a um a little bit of a promo for the uh comic relief single that uh, mr bean has inexplicably done with bruce dickinson Mm -hmm. and and it's a cover of an alice cooper song so you know there's a lot going on with that um (laughs) and it's it's him wanting wanting to get elected um, and this would have come out in the week of the 1992 uh, general election. So it's um, it's very timely at the moment. That the general election, I believe, was the 9th of April. So we're, we're in election fever time at the moment.
0: The first one I voted in.
2: Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did write to John Major <laughs> before this election um, because we got a bit of promotional material from the Conservatives through the door And I was so incensed, remembering that I was 10, I was so incensed (laughs) by this bit of propaganda coming through our door that said that the, the Tories were about equal opportunity, that I actually put pen to paper and wrote to John Major. For some reason, I thought that it was better to pretend that I could vote because I thought that he wouldn't pay attention to me if I didn't pretend I could vote. So I pretended that I was 18. Probably it would have made more impact if I had told him I was ten. Um, so, but I did get a letter back in it, um, from from the Prime Minister, which I threw away because I, I really hated John Major. <laughs> <laughs> but he, you know, he wrote back saying thank you for the letter. Um, you know, we are about equality of opportunity, and basically just re-said the whole thing. But yeah, so I was quite political, and I, I can confirm that I would not have voted for Mister Bean either.
1: Well, not on the basis of these answers. <laughs> Any any
0: classics from the biscuit tin that you remember? Any any uh, responses?
2: So so the classic one, which is is slightly going to give away where we're going with my, with my favourite one. Uh, and to all Welsh listeners, I very very much ap- apologise for what I'm about to do to your language. But there was one a memorable one that was Na Dimitin Biscuiti, which was no not the biscuit tin in Welsh. And um, and it was Nicky Wire who did it, uh, and it was brilliant because he obviously loved it. And he's posing with the you know the biscuit tin comes out of one side of the article, and the other person is like you know holding up their hands in horror. And Nicky really went for it with the posing, <laughs> and it was brilliant. Uh, so so yes, that's that's my absolute favourite.
0: And we move on to our cover stars, Right Said Fred, with Alex Caddis reporting it's Right Said Fred in the USA. Heavy emphasis on photos, as we've already mentioned, and it's no different when you get to the article. Starts off saying that America has gone mental for Right Said Fred. I'm Too Sexy, which was kept off number one by Brian Adams in 1991 has been number one in America for three weeks by this point. And the lads from Right Said Fred, just just the brothers, the other fellas not out there with them, so they're kind of doing like a, a miming promotional tour. It starts off that they're kind of moaning about what they're doing uh, and saying that they've got a bit of a hectic schedule. And uh, who is it that's saying this? Richard says, uh, even people who know about these things and see schedules all the time, so they are shocked at how busy ours is. But by the end of the piece, they're, they're absolutely loving what they're doing and, and what they're experiencing. So it's whether their opinion changes as as Alex was talking to them or, or not, I, I don't know. Or, or whether they realise that they didn't want to be too, too moany about it in a in a ub 40 style i mean it's a you know it's a cliche isn't it for bands when they get famous to kind of moan about how hectic and how terrible it is being busy
2: and well my favorite bit was whenever they they said that they'd met johnny depp that was quite like that they were like well, one of the best things about going to america was we got to meet johnny depp and that that that's pretty good
0: some serious name dropping going on there by the end of the piece
2: which i very much approve of Everyone should name drop at any opportunity.
0: <laughs> Lots of heavy emphasis on American teenagers and, and what they're up to and uh, and kind of like that. The, the Baywatch lifestyle that was uh, on our tellys on a Saturday tea time.
1: Yeah, it's very aspirational, isn't it, about American teenagers and about how much money they've got. There's a thing, isn't there, where they're talking to some young fans who've spent, is it $1,200 for the weekend or something and they've got, expensive cars and everyone's tanned and everyone's having lots of sex and they're all beautiful and they're all in like trunks or bikinis and it's really not the life that most of the smash its readers would have been experiencing you know it it feels very kind of quite really grown up for a a magazine that was aimed at you know 10 11 12 year olds I guess a lot of these Americans were I don't know 17 18 19 that kind of age but like you say and there's a lot of focus through the issue on uh, Beverly Hills 90210 and um, Baywatch and things like that. So it's it's almost taking Right Said Fred from the music world and almost kind of putting them into that television kind of scenario and, and it's a bit of a crossover. I mean, they're quite a strange band really, Right Said Fred, aren't they? I always think of them as a bit of a strange anomaly, almost like a 70s cabaret act that somehow yes. <laughs> managed to get successful. But how they got so famous is kind of a bit beyond me really because what did they do apart from... Pervy bum wiggling and you know there was a lot of writhing about and but it wasn't even that sexy it was very kind of camp kind of silly you know very tongue in cheek yeah yeah very much so
2: see for me I, I mm, this is this is probably very embarrassing I did quite like Fred, right said Fred it <laughs> was fine I mean. <laughs> They did. They did funny songs. They were a bit naughty. So you know, if you're if you're ten years old, they're like this is a bit naughty. Um, but but they weren't so naughty that it was like offensive or bad or or made you uncomfortable in any way. It was just kind of fun and silly. And there's like loads of playground jokes to be had out of people being too sexy for various things. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that we all said that for you know constantly too sexy for this pen, miss miss. You're too sexy for those shoes. Ah! <laughs> oh, the comedy greats of Knock breed a primary school.
1: <laughs> and there's another really charming thing at the end as well, actually, where, um, you know, they're doing all these meet and greet and they must be exhausted. They've got really long days and they're doing loads of TV appearances and meeting all kinds of people and doing public appearances. And they get really excited at the end by meeting a baseball team. And I think that's really Aww. nice. Like, it says upstairs, right, said Fred exchange autographs with a chunky sportsman richard looks very chuffed and sneaks fred a look the expressions on their faces are enough to convince you that they're having the time of their lives and then there's a little photo and there's richard fairbrass with the uh the kind of the pennant from the baseball team and he looks proper like oh this is brilliant <laughs> looks like a little lad <laughs> meeting someone on jim will fix it you know <laughs> it's great
2: yeah let, let's get over that do yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I do remember watching that in my childhood But I really wish I didn't
0: Yeah, but did you ever write into it?
2: Yeah Did you? Yeah <laughs> th- this, It gets worse It was to meet Michael Jackson <laughs>
1: Oh, you hit the jackpot
2: there. (laughs) That's a true story.
0: I'm amazed that that actually didn't happen. (laughs) Oh, Oh,
1: dear. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Oh, Here we go. Strap yourself in. You're ready, Laura. Your time has come. So, this is what we're here for. You know, to be honest, I'd say this is the pinnacle of the magazine anyway. I mean, there's some other good bits to come, so don't switch off after this bit, please. But, <laughs> you know, it is, <laughs> it is a fine, fine moment. So, Sylvia Patterson is in that London and she's gone to interview Manic Street Preachers. Except, while she's there and about to do an interview with them, they suddenly get a call. Seal has pulled out of the, uh, the Irish Irma Milk Awards, which are kind of like the, uh, the Brits of uh of ireland i guess so they invite her to go along to dublin with them and uh being a good time kind of gal she goes yeah all right let's go so they hop into a few limousines and uh head over to dublin and uh oh it's the funniest bit of journalism ever it's great I, I think i'll start with i'll read a bit of a chunk actually from the beginning because this this just sets the scene and just the mayhem and the craziness that's going on um after the show this is how the article starts. You're scum! You're all scum! You should be thrown out of here! The woman called Eleanor has had enough. She flings her hair defiantly down the back of her nice tweed jacket and fumes out of the room with nary a glance back at the pop group who've ruined her big night out. Somewhere in the mix, it's all gone hopelessly wrong. Today you seen the Irish equivalent of the Brits Awards on live television and this is the post-event industry do, complete with vastly expensive meal, free drink and a bit of a disco afterwards. It's the usual setup, huge round tables for each celebrated record company faction, balloons aloft, dinner suits, diamante, shoulder pads from hell, etc etc. <laughs> then there's the Sony table. Manic Street Preachers assigned to Sony Records. Everyone's staring at them, and no one is remotely impressed. For a start, they've got makeup on and funny girls' blouses and fur coats that look like they may have mothballs in them. <laughs> and, now, and, now, and now, what comes next is a great description of the chaos uh, that is before, like a Bruegel painting. Nick's popped <coughs> loads of balloons, keeled over with his head on the table, and slid forwards to end up flat on his back before we've even got to the main course. Richie's poured several bottles of wine into the gigantic ice bucket in the middle of the table, added some salt and pepper and watched it overflow all over the table and cause a calamitous flood. Sean's been shouting, Boring! in a very loud voice. And James? Well, James has verbally and near enough physically attacked today's television presenter for slagging them off on live TV and be pulled off by the non too security men. The Sony table itself is physically removed from the premises (laughs) 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 due to its disgustingness. The Manic Street Preachers are branded a disgrace by the waiters and executives alike. The Eleanor woman from their own record company calls them scum (laughs) to their faces and they all disappear in a chaotic spiral of steamingness. The Irish Irma Milk Music Awards has never seen the likes of this before. And none of the Mannix, it seems, will ever be given the key to the city of Dublin, and you know that acts as a perfect introduction for uh, for what's to come. I wanted to go now before we get to the interview with Richie himself. Um, there's a great book if you if you're a fan of Smash It's from uh, from the eighties and nineties. Um, Sylvia Patterson is a great writer, and I know we've mentioned this book before, but her um, biography, I'm Not with the Band, is, should definitely be on your reading list if. Um, if you've not read it before, and um, she agreed, uh, page one one nine. If you if you look in, she gives uh, a bit of almost like a DVD commentary to uh, to what was going on in uh, in Dublin uh, <laughs> at that time. And in the piece, she says that uh, the next morning, the rest of the lads, um, apart from Richie, have gone upstairs to watch the rugby. That's the Smash It's version. In the book, she says the following morning, only one manic was capable of an official Smash It's interview. <laughs> The graceful political history graduate, Richie Edwards, his fragile frame housing a powerful theoretical mind padded into the hotel bar. Huge brown eyes, both bambi-doleful and flooded with youthful life. I suppose I'll have to do an interview then, he smiled, settling in a corner with a pint of Guinness and remaining there for the next four and a half hours. Occasionally sticking broken up multicoloured twistle sticks onto his glass and pondering the impromptu designs. So there we go. That kind of sets the interview up nicely. And, I mean, Laura, as someone that had the interview on their wall for many years, I think we should probably start with you, really, and what what the bits that made the most impact from this interview uh, were for you. What were the most memorable parts?
2: So, I, I mean, I, this just seems absolutely precision-crafted to make me love the Manics. I mean, this is, <laughs> it is everything. They, I mean just this is absolutely how legends are made the, you know that everything's been so squeaky clean you know, most of pop at this point is really quite squeaky clean and i've been brought up on like my my mom and dad's tales of what you know rock and roll look like and they were you know big music fans in in 60s and 70s and and so i've been brought up with this like um holy grail of what rock and roll should look like and the, the manics just come in and just do it do it so beautifully <laughs> And so smartly and, you know, and they talk about, I mean, the the stuff that, you know, Richie loves um, you know the, he's talking about he wants to do a reading list for you like <laughs> I'm, I'm like a bookish little kid I'm, I love that like it's it's brilliant you get to be both bookish and kind of this this whirlwind of, of rock and roll debauchery that's such an attractive combination and then I mean then you've got like uh, you know you've got feminism in there later on you've got anti-capitalism we already know I'm a raging lefty from my writing to the Prime Minister uh, we've got environmentalism I'm already a vegetarian at this point it's like literally if you tried to go into a lab and make a band that i would love this is that band and sylvia does just the most incredible job of showing them at their absolute pinnacle they're just they're really all of the strength and the power and the humor to them which i don't actually think that some of the more um probably respected rock press really captured about them you know they were they were a bit too reverential with them and she she's right there you, you you know you know that these are funny lads you get the sense of them having like myself you know come from kind of being weird people in a in a you know in a back end of of wherever and their kiss wheels um and it they just they just seem like the life of everything to me in this. It's beautiful. So there's one, there's one particular thing where, where I think Sylvia just nails the Mannix, absolutely nails them and nails them to this day. And she says, uh, the Mannix mission is a simple one. They want to make music exciting, glamorous and interesting again, make people wake up out of the boredom and meaninglessness of 20th century life and jump up and down to some good old rock and roll music and think about things and have a laugh because at the end of the day, none of us will ever be happy. And I had to have everything about them immediately because I, I don't think I'd even heard them When I read this article, I mean, I'm pretty certain I wouldn't have actually heard them before I read this, but they seemed so amazing and they were so pretty and just everything about them caught me. And uh, for the, for the benefit of listeners who can't see me at the moment, I'm actually wearing my red glitter Manix necklace that I had made for me, <laughs> um, which I wear frequently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that, so, you know, I, I've, since that day, I've, I've seen them more than 30 times live. You know, I've been a huge part of my life. There's, I've got a bunch of friendships that I have because of the Manix. Um, and they, they've really had a massive impact on my life, um, and that's the power of like you know Sylvia wrote that sentence particularly. You know she wrote that sentence and exploded somebody's brain that she didn't know she was going to explode in you know in sitting in Belfast with a with a magazine on my lap, and that just you know it can nearly make me cry. It's such a it's such a beautiful <laughs> thing to be able to do to someone and for someone.
1: So two of um just read about them and not heard them at that point do you remember the first time you heard them was the music kind of what you were expecting did it take you a while to really start loving it or did you love it from the first note you heard
2: so this is this this is the weird thing about those times I would have um, I I remember the first time I remember and the first record I owned of theirs is actually a little bit later than this Um, so it's uh, the first single i bought was from Despair despaired aware was the first of theirs i bought which is actually their whole album on because it's gold against the soul um so it will be the i presume yeah that's the year after um so it's a while after that i actually start to kind of know the music and that's the weird thing about those times was that, that i knew this band and them as characters almost in the world um but had probably only really heard um, slash and burn, and you love us. I suspect, Maybe, uh, probably motorcycle emptiness, but I wouldn't have really, like, I wouldn't have known them in that way because I wasn't mm. able to own them. I wasn't able to to buy them, um, and so that that is such a strange thing, right? That you were able to know that I'm the kind of person that likes this music, but at the same time, it takes a while for you to be able to get it, and there's that lag between. Knowing that you want to be into this band and then actually managing to get your hands on some of the the music, um, which yeah, a little bit of uh, determination that it took to actually <laughs> to actually then end up owning some of the stuff. Um, I don't think Nuts corner market ever had Generation Terrorists for sale for <laughs> two pounds, so, so that was a bit of a myth, miss for me. But yeah, but I did. But as soon as I heard them, they sound they sound like they sound like they're going to in this. Don't they? I mean, they, you know, a mess of eyeliner and spray paint. That's <laughs> that's what they sound like in this, and that's what they sound like on a record. So they did immediately, you know, sound amazing to me.
0: Well, I guess that's also a testament to the, the power of Sylvia's writing as well with, with this piece. And I think, I mean, Sylvia is just an amazing writer mm. anyway, and anything that you read by her, she just drops you right in. Uh, and, and she does it with such clarity. But also a real economy of of language, uh, but it's so densely packed as well. Yeah, uh, and, and I think we find this any time that we encounter her pieces in in Smash. It's she is she becomes your your eyes, or, or she is your eyes and ears. I, I can't work out whether she's in the reader's head or where in her head. I don't know which it is, but she's just just got this amazing ability to just it just leaps off off, off the page. Yeah, you are there with her that's why it's it's the absolute best thing in in this edition of of the mag yeah Um, i like what she writes as well about what happens after after they've all been ejected from from the do um sean ends up down some dublin rave up with the pasadenas and two unlimited till (laughs) six in the morning james ends up flaked out in his hotel room because he cannot see anymore Nick ends up in the hotel bar with only his boxer shorts on, but he's booted out again for looking obscene. <laughs> Richie ends up having an enormous punch-up with an Irish businessman about Catholicism. And that again <laughs> is just, that's that's the manics. That's exactly yeah, yeah. that's exactly what you would expect each of them to do, and particularly what Richie ends up doing. Yeah. I mean you just you just have to laugh because that that's Richie. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. It's absolute perfection. I mean, and I, I would totally agree. I think I think we are in her head because I think that um I think that a lot of well I realized later when I was reading her book actually I thought a lot about this and I realized that actually I think I no, I'm I'm not claiming to be as good but I learned how to write by watching what she did and that's you know it's something that I've spent basically my whole career trying to reach for that kind of sense of of bringing you along and making you part of it but also allowing people to speak and having you know allowing them to have their own character shine through um so it's a very difficult balancing act because there's so much of her character in it but you never feel that she's putting herself in the piece mm. and I mean I don't know what kind of magic that she does to do that but <laughs> <laughs> but I don't um, but let me know who I need to sacrifice and uh,
0: I'll do it. <laughs> it's true when you hear her speak you just think this this is this is smash hits in a person coming out mm. Um, mm. and like you say so much of her is is in smash hits of, of this era from from well right from when she joined till um till she went on things went on to like the enemy after this didn't she but so much of her runs through smash hits and informs so so much of of what's on the pages and, and the style and, and the humour. Mm. Uh, and, and it's just write, a magazine that writes with one voice. But when you read this, you realise that it's a lot of that is Sylvia's voice.
2: Mm. Yeah, and she's way better at it than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. I think what I really like about it, what you said before, Laura, about it kind of cutting through all the bullshit and the – there's a lot of Hollywood kind of stuff in this issue, but this really cuts through that, doesn't it? And mm. there's, a, there's a great bit where she says um, he gets really upset because the young folk of today aren't interested in music anymore. And just like the bloke off Beverly Hills, 97 million instead. He isn't surprised though because bands are boring and drab. There's no Duran Duran's anymore. That's why computer games are so massive. And it's kind of cutting away from all that, all those glossy posters that we had earlier on and the gossip stuff about someone fancying Winona Ryder and all that. And it's like, no, this is all crap. You know, you need to really get into music. And again, just, just referring back to the book as well, As there's, there's a bit that obviously she can't print in Smash It's, but this really... <laughs> I, just, <laughs> you can just imagine her almost like, oh, don't say that because I'm not going to be able to put that in. Um, he says, do you know what I think is the best thing Smash It's could ever do in terms of promoting a massive outcry? He sips his Guinness chuffed with his approaching good idea front cover of smash hits pictures of every teen idol has ever been. And over the top in big letters, kill yourself. And then she says, help. <laughs> It'd be brilliant. You'd be on the six o'clock news, the news at 10 everywhere. It'd be huge. And inside you just have articles exploding every myth about everyone, every single hit bit of gossip in there. You believe the lies now face the consequences. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, yeah, just really cutting through all of that. And, um, it's great. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a Manics, uh, Fan at all, and because I think i was I was a bit older, and i'd seen them on snub and they'd been hyped a lot in the music because obviously I was reading the Inkies at that time, the weekly press, mm. and they were hyped a lot in there, and they seemed you know what you were saying before I thought was interesting about the fact that in the in the weeklies they seemed much more serious and kind of quite pompous to me sometimes, you know. If I'd have read this at the time, I think I would have liked them a lot more than I did, you know, because there's a lot more of the humour in there. And it's almost like they're a cartoon band. But because they'd been sort of so hyped, uh, and then I remember seeing them on Snub and just thinking, oh, they've got nothing really to say, particularly. I didn't really like the music, but like I say, having read this article, I can see... That if I'd have been 10, 11, 12 years old, I think I'd have thought, yeah, these are because <laughs> they're the best band that are mentioned in Smash in this issue of Smash Hits, and I can't really think of any other bands around that time, particularly British bands, that would have. I think it's that thing of, of having a, a gang to belong to as well. You know, you were saying about almost you felt you belonged with them even before you could really buy any of the things, yeah, you know, get any of the records and singles. You don't feel you belong to a right said Fred gang, do you? You know, you might like some of the songs, but you're not, you're not a Freddy. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with Mannix, it's kind of like a lifestyle thing, isn't it? And I mean, for me, I got into the Smiths at a similar kind of age. I was like 11, 12 and Adam and the Ants. And so they were the bands for me that I felt I'm a part, you know, they're a part of me, I'm a part of them and they matter and they're important and um, they inform a lot of your thoughts and, and, just the yeah the way you sort of see yourself really and it was the manics for you but like i say because i was 12 years older and it you know it wasn't going to appeal to me but i think it's great that they they were there and they were providing almost that kind of service for people of that age you know something to latch on to that meant something and gave them some hope and made them smile and and made them feel they belonged somehow and gave them a gang
2: yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I was in desperate need of a gang, and they gave me a gang. They gave me a, a place of people who cared about the same things I cared about. And also, one of the things that they do in this that's really beautiful is Richie makes quite an impassioned uh, speech about why about people getting um, looking down on them for having female fans because they as though females are not able to be seriously into music. And I think he says and have uh, fifteen pints and mosh down the front. Uh, <laughs> How he knew where I would be, in a few, <laughs> a few short years' time. Um, but that that meant so much because so much of like if I picked up the weeklies at that point, I know I would. I mean, just not long after this, I would have been getting Melody Maker and, and NME, and you know, getting them every week, and I would have been getting uh, Select and stuff. You know, so I would have been getting all of those but they were really quite male focused. Like let's mm-hmm. not pretend that they weren't. I I have a deep love for those publications, but this is, you know, this is where smash hits actually had something that they didn't where that. It was, you know, they didn't care that you were a wee girl, but that you were still allowed to love the music just as much as everybody else. And that coming from the way that Richie talks about it in this is just really, you know, I think it was really important. Um, and and also a big part of i think why you know the manics have always had a really strong female following because they were open to that and they wanted you know they they wanted us there (laughs) which you know so many bands or, or at least bands weren't challenging the people who were writing about them that said that it wasn't for girls um and they did and that's still means a lot to me
1: yeah it's important isn't it to be sort of actively included in that way, and to be told, yeah, it's it's fine. We want you to like us, and we want to have that relationship with you as fans.
2: Yeah, yeah. Especially as I was looking at, you know, the rest of the music I was looking, listening to is very rock focused, and like rock at that time, it's you know it it's not a massively welcoming place um for young girls <laughs> well or maybe it was a welcoming place for young girls but not in that good way um whereas this is like yes we want you to be a fan come in be part be part of our party be join us and we can overthrow the establishment and you know the teach train you as well you are intelligent enough and strong enough and and wild enough to catch up with them
0: but Sylvia also does squeeze in they're all really good looking and have fabulous teeth especially Nick and exquisite noses and have something to say about everything apart from James who is intensely serious and quiet and a very deep sort of person
2: I mean Nicky does have great teeth though so they they are like you have to actually mention them that is true so many (laughs) of the pictures you get all these pictures that are always taken of Nicky and it's such a shame because he always he has a tendency to always pout in pictures and it's such a shame because he has the most beautiful smile. It is like, it's a genuine humdinger of a smile and you get it in uh, one of the pictures on the third page of the feature. You get a proper ear to ear grin from him and yeah, lights up the room. (laughs) I was such a strange child, you know, so I was in, this is the music I was into when when I was 10 and I went to school and nobody was into the same music as me. And that that sense of belonging that you can get from magazines is important it's genuinely really 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 important and i know that so much of this is kind of shiny and fun and silly but it was shiny and fun and silly in a way that really mattered and it did matter to me so much
1: beautifully put
2: (laughs) deep deep (laughs) moment from laura
1: yeah and you're right magazines really They were a club, weren't they? And you were fans of certain bands and singers and you were kind of part of their club, but you were also part of the the Smash Hits Club, like the wider community around that. And you did feel you belonged. It wasn't just a way of getting news and and information. It was was something more than that, something deeper and, and more profound, definitely. It was very important. Okay, so the next article in the magazine and I don't know who wrote this, but I, I think it may well have been Sylvia again, to be honest. Is um Starwitches. Well, I don't know. It's got an air
0: of Miranda Sawyer and Sean Pattenden about it as well. Mm. And I'm sure I've heard one of them to talk about it. Okay. We should have asked.
1: <laughs> yeah, but no no one is credited for it. But um anyway, so basically as, as you may be able to work out from the title Star Witches, it's basically the taken stars of the day, TV, film, pop stars. And ask them what their favourite sandwiches were. It's that simple. And um, there's some revelations for me because I mean, when we were doing a previous one, um, I think it was the one we did, one of the ones we did with David Hetworth where we were talking about. I don't know if you remember, Si. I was talking about how it blew my mind that Paul Weller was talking about falafel in the mid '80s. And there's people here in '92 talking about tofu. I had no idea what tofu was. You know, I'd have called it tofu. I'd have thought I would have thought it was something to do with toffees. Or, you know
2: <laughs> Well, I was I was a vegetarian growing up with two vegetarians as parents. I hadn't heard of tofu. <laughs> like you didn't get tofu in Belfast in 1992?
1: No, not a chance, not a chance. We don't think just got
0: falafel in Sheffield in 1992. <laughs> that was the first time I had that.
2: There wasn't falafel in in <laughs> Belfast until the 21st century, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So some of the stars that uh, reveal their favourite sandwich choices. We've got Dexter Fletcher of Press Gang. The young actor type is a trifle partial to a posh bagel. Oh, and he has bagels. I mean, that's quite, you know, for 92, that's quite good as well, isn't it? With cream cheese, smoked salmon and egg. That's quite posh. Marky Mark. We uh, glossed over earlier on. Let's uh, delve into Marky Mark's dietary world now. There's nothing that toughnut Marky likes more than manfully wolfing down a chicken club sandwich with mayonnaise and fries. And uh, the KLF one is uh, quite odd. They asked the KLF what their favourite sandwich is, and they say something vegetarian with a sheep. Anyway... (laughs) I thought we'd, we'd play a little game and so what I'm going to try and do now, obviously Laura I've never met before but, and I had chosen someone else's who I thought her sandwich might be but she's revealed just now that she was a veggie so I'm going to make a last I've minute. I've given you um, a clue. <laughs> yeah you have, so you've got someone in mind Laura, who of which sandwich would be closest to what you would have chosen? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I'm going to go for Danny Minogue. Danny keeps his strengths up with a granary bat filled with salad and tofu. No mayonnaise, no butter, no nothing. Am I correct?
2: No, that is a sad sandwich. (laughs) That's that's tragic. I mean it's got no no butter no mayonnaise no nothing oh that's like that's what happens whenever like a place finds out that you're vegetarian and they don't know what to do with you yeah (laughs) so they give you like would a dry bap work for you (laughs) and you go "Mm, okay thanks Mm. (laughs) which to be fair happened a lot in 1992 but shall i I reveal or do you want another do you want another go one more guess you can
1: paula abdul
2: you're right. Yeah, yes! that is right. Yes!
1: All right. That was my first choice and then I changed it. I do eat cheese still. Paula maintains a sylph-like figure with nothing more than a healthy mix of cucumber, tomato, lettuce, and Monterey Jack, Monterey Jack cheese on brown bread. A lot more going on in that, isn't there?
2: I, I can confirm that that sandwich choice does not give you a sylph-like figure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, I'm going to do the same with Cy now. Cy, I reckon... Yeah because I know uh, you're pretty much semi-vegan and certainly vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm going to go for, I think you're a Brian Adams kind of guy. Despite his hardy lumberjack-like image, and that's very much you, Sy. Brian doesn't eat raw buffalo steak, but instead prefers an avocado toasty on wheat bread with vegan margarine. Was that the choice you would have made? That was, uh, I was kind of edging towards that one. All right, okay. Because
0: I I got my vegan head on. Mm. And you know, and I was looking round and was noticing lots of um, lots of eggs. Very disappointed that Corey Ham doesn't like ham, because <laughs> <laughs> then they could have called him Corey Ham.
2: Yeah, hey. they were probably gutted.
0: <laughs> and so, so yeah, I, I was edging towards uh, Brian
1: Adams, but then I changed my mind. Oh right, okay. Give me one more guess. Right, okay. In that case. Oh, it's a toss-up between Tim Burgess <laughs> or Matt Stevenson from Home and Away. I don't, you see, I don't know you' I don't know if you like Friday. I'm, I'm going to take a punt side. Yeah, I don't, I don't do eggs. Oh, right, right, Well, I wasn't going to choose yeah. that one then. All yeah. right, in that case, I'm going to go <laughs> Tim Burgess from Charlotte's who had uh, wholemeal crusty bread with a thin spread of peanut butter and mashed up bananas on the top slice.
2: Can I have a guess as well? Can I join in in the guessing game? <laughs> so I'm I'm going to guess River Phoenix. That's my guess.
0: What's what's he up for? River there? Phoenix
2: is is vegan as well, and he is having a, a I eat vegetarian sandwiches. That's just wholesome wheat bread, vegan margarine, and plenty of fresh salad or tofu.
0: No, <laughs> <gasps> we're both wrong. Yeah, <laughs> what is it, Si? It'd more likely be a wrap these days, but clearly wraps didn't exist in uh, in nineteen ninety two. So th- that's how far we've come on in the uh, <laughs> culinary world. And Brian Adams was close, but you know, if I'd have been putting that in a wrap, it'd be with um, some some roasted sweet potato and a bit of steamed broccoli and some hummus.
2: Oh, um, I choose your sandwich, Simon. Yours is yours is now my pick. <laughs>
0: um, Paul or Abdul?
2: Yes. <laughs> Ah, you've gone Paula as well. I mean, she has the best sandwich.
0: She, she does have the best sandwich, and it's, it's the best looking sandwich out, out of all of those. I would have to make a, a little modification to that. Obviously, now it would be vegan cheese, but I'd have to put a little bit of um, plum chutney on there just to give it that, that little bit of lift.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're right, lardy aren't you? But yeah, uh, straight up, I'm with Paula Abdul. I'm going Brian Adams. I'm I'm with Brian all the way on this one. Yeah, he's basically seen the avocado on toast kind of Instagram fad that would happen thirty years later, and you know he's he's there a whole generation before.
2: That's funny because that's literally what I was just about to say, which is that this feature is so completely Instagram before the gram. Like it's, I mean, this is what would come later. It's like everybody. We would actually have seen. So, I mean, I think I'm, I'm guessing all of these are just staged pictures. I don't want to blow anyone's am- version of reality, but too much. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure these are just staged. But later, we would see all of these people's actual food. They would just be putting them on the internet for us to look at on Instagram. So yeah, it's it's quite a funny feature because <laughs> how did they know that this was going to be the future? <laughs> it's pretty good crystal ball time.
0: So you may have noticed that there's one thing we haven't mentioned yet as we've been looking through this edition of Smashes. We've reached a halfway point. We haven't come across any song lyrics, but here we are. They're all together, bunched up in, in one pull-out songbook. Um we get lyrics for um blur, pop scene, um, hammer, not MC Hammer anymore. He's dropped the, he's dropped the MCs, Do Not Pass Me By with um well, I don't know. His, his face on that, it looks like he's, he's kind of... The, the, the giddy carousel's spinning just a little bit too fast for him and there's a bit, <laughs> bit of G-force going on in his face, I think. Plus, there are songs from Kim Sims, James, Prince, Curtis Stigers, Eric Clapton's Soul to Soul and Rock sets. Hit song words, all the words to all the biggest hits. Oh, yeah, that Mr Bean song as well is in there. And, again, we're confronted with rather strange layout choices, where it becomes rather abstract and in places very, very hard to figure out what the actual lyrics are. When you get to, um, there's lyrics for a a Prince song, um, a few pages in, Money Don't Matter Tonight, um, lots of photos of Prince, and then the the lyrics kind of really spaced out along there, but absolutely illegible.
2: But there are loads of really great pictures of Prince, so...
0: Yep, Hmm. that's the bonus there. (laughs) Um, but listening back to these on the playlist and you realise that Kim Sims has only got one song and she's doing it again (laughs) the James song is kind of I was always a bit indifferent to James I remember I had tickets to go and see them around about this time it may have been the year previously and I ended up just giving to one of my mates at college saying I can't be bothered actually and uh, surprised myself listening back to these songs just letting them play in the kitchen and uh, one particular song came on. I thought, oh, this, is, uh, this is all right, this. Walked over to the radio so I could see what was playing. So streaming my Spotify to the radio. Curtis Stigers.
2: <laughs> Curtis Stigers, right. Ex- except for Prince, which is a great song. But yeah. we, you wouldn't remember that as soon as you saw it. You know, like it's still being played. Curtis Stigers is the best of the songs in this bunch.
0: <laughs> yeah. What? I know. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? So one, one of my um tutors at college was, was a big um Curtis supporter, and we always always used to take the Mickey out of it. You know, everybody was into like Nirvana or yeah. the dance stuff was was all massive at the time. And, and we were all like Curtis Stigers. <laughs> Whereas but this came up on the on the playlist, and it's like it's he means it, but he's not over-delivering, he's not over-singing. It's a good, solid performance, it's a, you know, a good tune. I was like, <laughs> what's going on here? It happened with another song as well that I think has got a, a, an advert in here. It's featured at some point in the magazine. And it came on, I thought, I said, this is all right, it's a bit, bit of a tune, this one, nice groove, um, sounds like a sort of early 80s disco banger. Mariah Carey. What's going on? What is going on? I started looking at the '90s Smash Hits and start liking the stuff that I absolutely dismissed at the time.
2: That's the thing, right? I remember, I remember making fun of Curtis Steigers. He was laughable even to children at the time, <laughs> but in retrospect, we were a little unfair.
1: Yeah. In in terms of the, um, you know, we were talking about how unreadable some of it is. Like the Blur one as well is another one. that's really kind of hard to pick out the lyrics, isn't it? I think they just must have got some new kind of desktop publishing program on the computers and they were getting all excited about, oh, we can put lyrics over the top of pictures. And they didn't really think about, will people be able to read them? Will it be a bit too busy? (laughs) Nah, (laughs) it's shiny and new and exciting.
0: It is absolutely a product of the early days of desktop publishing. Like I mentioned earlier, I was working on the college magazine and we had desktop publishing and yeah, we used to come out with crazy, wacky stuff like this in black and white because uh, <laughs> we couldn't get it printed in colour. But yeah, the possibilities that it opened up led to a lot of a lot of those possibilities being explored. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they work in, in a more abstract way. So they, they work more as posters again. That emphasis is, mm. is on the photos, and it's it's working more as as art rather than the lyrics and I guess they were looking for mm-hmm. a way to kind of refresh what they did with the lyrics so put them all together in the, in the middle of the magazine in a, in a pull out section and then do something that you know that you could just as easily stick on your wall as well as sing along with
2: yeah it did I mean that's actually worth asking because I did stick a load of these I had loads of song words on my wall would you either of you either have ever stuck one of the old song words up
1: I did all the time yeah it was sort 85 80- 83, 84, 85, Smith's, The Cure, Jesus and Mary Chain, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, because you would get uh, like a full page that would be a photo mm. of that artist and then the lyrics kind of tucked away in the corner. They wouldn't be splashed about all over the top of the photo. So they'd be tucked away on, on the on there somewhere. Um, I would cut them out and stick them in a scrapbook. That's what I used to do with my uh, smash-its in the early days. <laughs> so got a scrapbook full of those somewhere. We scoot on a, a few pages, a bit more well, TV action and uh, oh, some trainer tips. So that's the, the fashion advice, another new thing to smash it. And then we get into the reviews, uh, beginning with the albums. Um, best new album goes to The, the Beautiful South, 0898, uh, reviewed by Mark Frith. There are also new albums from Annie Lennox, Diva, who gets a, a bit of a drubbing. Um Rosala, Everybody's Free. The Queen of Rave, as it calls her here. But I think the, the, the best of the album reviews, and not necessarily the best album, is uh, Kim Sims, Too Blind to See It. Uh, the review goes uh, as, as follows. Hello, girls. Kim here. If you like thinking about your man and liked my last two singles, Too Blind to See It and Take My Advice, about thinking about your man, then this is the LP for you. It's got my hits, for some more chirpy stompers about my man and probably <laughs> yours. This LP is very much the puddle of poppy house tunes you'd expect and there's one ballad I can't stop. But that goes on a bit. Oh, well, eh? Perhaps my next LP will be a bit more interesting. Uh, so it's all written uh, in the guise of Kim Sims, <laughs> but given away in brackets, uh, Sean Pattenden. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, And then into the singles reviews, the return of Sylvia Patterson. And uh, I had a a hard job just picking out one or two here because uh, she she just delivers on absolutely every single thing that she writes, (laughs) whether it's just a a few words or or a longer reflection on what it is that she's listening to. So most of the singles get um, short shrift. She's not showing any mercy. And um, very, very funny with it. I think um, the, the one that kind of sums it up for me and, and, and music at that time, and you can probably tell that, that Sylvia's maybe ready to move on from Smash It's uh, a review of a single by uh, World Series of Life called Spread Love. Could almost be another Kim Sims affair, except this one has a bloke with a trembly voice going on about spreading his love about the place. Average piano-filled house fodder for anonymous clubland. Aren't you sick of this yet, readers? <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly sums up that pop house style that just stayed around a little bit too long around about that time. Yeah. Any reviews and nuggets there jumping out to you, Gavin?
1: Uh, Yeah, for me, I loved the SL2 on a ragga trip one. Um, This is hilarious uh, review. She says, frantic, echoey, reggae dub scenario with no proper lyrics, no discernible tune and a lot of pipe organ beltings that sound like they've come from a Bairns Casio keyboard that cost £4.75, and they probably did. Jolly enough stuff, but strictly for the rave up with half a pint of Vicks Vapor Rub down your trousers. Two out of five. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's very sort of tom hibbert that last bit isn't it about the uh half a pint of Vic's vapor rub i love that i thought it was superb what about you laura any any there that stand out that really made you chuckle
2: so my favorite was the description of the beastie boys as the group that donny Wahlberg always wanted to be in <laughs> 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 that feels accurate <laughs> uh, yeah I mean I, and the thing that the thing that is so phenomenal about this I know we've gone on about how great Sylvia is and she is um, but the thing that's amazing about this is a lot of these are like neither really awful nor good in any way And like the whole page is pretty much that. It's all like two and three stars, which are the hardest thing in the world to write. It's really easy to write, you know, one star review, really easy, well, slightly harder to write a five star review. But those middle-in ones where it's just Mm. like a whole load of dross, that is absolutely the hardest job in criticism. It's so, so difficult. And she does it like nailing their mediocrity but never, ever being mediocre herself. Yeah. Wow. That's skills. <laughs> That's
1: great. I mean, what you're saying, there is is true. You know, the fact that a lot of the music is quite sort of anonymous, isn't it? And fairly bland and middle of the road. And there's not, there's not a lot to really get your teeth stuck into if you're reviewing this stuff. But she, she does such a great job. Swing Out yeah. Sister one made me laugh as well. I like this one. Swing <laughs> yeah. Out Sister. Am I the same girl? It's Lots of very short sentences. She says, girly laughter. Trumpets, jazzy synthings, some nice singing about a load of nonsense. There'll be shiny haircuts in the video, readers, and some polo necks, grey ones. Do not encourage. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Perfect. Absolutely perfect.
0: So the reviews move on to the films. Uh, Newly released My Own Private Idaho And Cuffs, plus new videos, Um, Drop Dead Fred, Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael, Young Soul Rebels, and best new video, City
2: Slickers. So My Own Private Idaho is one of my personal favourite films. (laughs) And, And I remember watching it at this, like not long after it came out, because I was such a big Bill and Ted fan. My mum was like, oh, that she's in safe hands with this Keanu fellow.
0: Uh oh. <laughs>
2: so with no no parental supervision at all. Uh and sorry to my mum when she inevitably listens to this. But no parental supervision at all was allowed to watch my own private Idaho um with myself and my cousin, who was the same age as me. And my mum was puzzled when for sp- several days slash years afterwards, we would stand with our fingers out in the way that um, River does in the film and say, it's like a face, a fucked up face. (laughs) (laughs) Which appeared to be the thing that we had taken from that story. (laughs)
0: Okay. I was going to ask if it was a learning experience.
2: (laughs) I mean... (laughs) It's. It, I mean, it's a really beautiful film. I don't know, like, it's if you've watched it in recent years, it is a really beautiful. And it, I mean, it is an extremely strange, really beautiful, uh, Shakespeare-inflected classic of queer cinema. But why it's being reviewed in Smash Hits and why <laughs> I was also watching it around that time, I have no idea.
1: Okay, so some things have changed in this issue, but some remain the same, and we still have RSVP. Very international flavour to this one. We've got people from Malaysia, from France, from Hong Kong, from the States, from Italy, Switzerland, all over the shop. And in terms of the bands and uh, actors that people are interested in and want to write about, it's very much a mixed bag, really. Often on previous ones we've done, we'll get like about half of the uh, RSVP people wanting to talk about Bross or Duran Duran or Kajagooga or whatever, but this is, I think everyone's kind of got a different person that they're a fan of and there's not really any kind of themes in this I'm particularly attracted to um, Christophe's letter I like Christophe, halfway down the first column he's keeping the Bros dream alive he says, hello, I'm a French boy I'm 17, I'd like to have an English pen girl <laughs> a pen girl who hasn't forgotten Bros." He's holding a flame there for the uh, Goss twins. Then, if you like life, I mean, who doesn't like life? I don't know. But see, son, French boys, write to Christophe in Chansonnet, France.
2: Bye! <laughs>
1: At the end. <laughs> and, uh, so, I like him.
2: So, youth make him sound sweet. I I was a little bit suspicious of, of him, I have to say. Yeah. The use of the word pen, girl. That, that kind of... It's a red flag for me. And then it's like, who hasn't forgotten bros? It's like, yeah, right? You're a 17-year-old boy that likes bros And then trying to use your Frenchness. I think you're trying to seduce the good women of the UK.
1: Christoph. you dirty philanderer, you.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, you could be right, actually. You could be right. I th- yeah, I think I... If I'd have read him in a creepier voice, that could have taken a very different turn, <laughs> <Yeah>. could not it? <laughs> yeah. He had a creepy
2: voice in my head. <laughs>
1: I maybe made him sound too sympathetic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did notice that New Kids on the Block are mentioned in,
0: in quite a few letters, apart from Michael in Switzerland. He's 15 and uh, writes me, if you're from anywhere in this universe, I like Roxette, Huey Lewis, ACDC and Twin Peaks. I don't like New Kids on the Block. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he sounded better to me. <laughs> I like the sound of him. Yeah.
1: Anyone you would have written to, Laura? Because I mean, we know that you tried to make pen pals with John Major already. <laughs> yeah. Is there anyone in here that you would
2: well, you, <laughs> you know. would have written to? Me and the PM, we already had our thing going on. So I don't know if I had enough time to take on a French creep Fair enough. or, you know, <laughs> any of these other beautiful people to choose from. <laughs> I mean, it probably would have been the guy who said he didn't like New Kids on the Block because I really hated New Kids on the Block and they were like, that was what everyone else was listening to. They were, you know, they were all really obsessed with them. So that probably would have, I would have been quite into the the dislike of that. He seems pretty good. Michael, you can say hello. And I like the Irish girl as well in the end. Mm. She was into REM, EMF, Corey Haim and Christian Slater. She seems all right. And, and, you know, I I like that um, she's putting a bit of Gaelic in there for you as well.
1: What does that mean, that bit at the end?
2: you see that i knew you were going to say that as soon as i said it and then i was going to have to explain that i went to a state school slash protestant school and therefore do not speak any gaelic at Ah, all so apologies for that (laughs) i can't tell you (laughs) failure as an irish woman there for you (laughs)
1: One more thing that we need to mention, just because when I was flicking through it, kind of, I thought, that's a bit bizarre. On the uh, the bit about the next issue of Smash It's, and there's a coupon that you can cut out. Uh, and it says, Dear newsagent, what's up? Please save me a copy of Smash It's for every fortnight. Thanks. And you put your name and address. But the bit of the photo that they've chosen for the coupon is oh. basically Madonna's undercrackers. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't know. It feels like a deliberate choice. I mean, maybe it's... Me? Is it me? <laughs> Is that a deliberate thing? I don't know.
2: Is it a weird subliminal way to yeah. draw you in? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, that was, of course, around the time that Madonna was doing the whole conical bra and, and sex book thing. So, yeah. I don't. I, I, in a way, I don't even want to contemplate or consider it. No, well, I'll, I'm sorry. <laughs> <I'll>...
2: <laughs> I certainly would have been too innocent, wouldn't have known. <laughs>
0: uh, well, that brings us to an end. It does bring us to an end. So that's uh, Smash It's April 1992.
1: Gavin, how, how do you feel having been through that 90s experience? I feel it's been a lot easier with uh, with Laura as our guide, Aww. taking us gently by the hand as old fellas, moving us through the magazine <laughs> at a respectable pace. We've not lost our footing. Yeah, you, you've been like the Sherpa for this expedition. Laura, thank you very much.
2: <laughs> I'm notoriously not very sure-footed, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you've you've done very well here.
2: It's really lucky I didn't fall over.
1: <laughs> you've been sure-footed as a mountain goat for these few hours, Laura. Thank you very much. It's been uh, no, it's been very interesting actually, sort of seeing what Smash It's would become. You know, a few years down the line. I, I guess it's kind of what you what you're used to. You know, for me, the great years of Smash Hits: eighty two, eighty three, eighty four, eighty five. But I guess if I'd have been 10, 11, 12 at this time, I'd, I would think that, well, this is Smash It's. This is what Smash It's is. And, you know, and it still had that inclusivity, clearly from what you were saying earlier on, Laura. You know, That was really interesting what you were saying about joining the club. And, and it was a magazine for you and you just loved it. And it gave you so much information and a sense of belonging um, to the world. So I, would, you know, I wouldn't really want to criticise it. It's different from what I remember, but it clearly still meant a lot to um, the youth the kids is yeah it's it's very interesting seeing it what about you so si? what's it been like for you
0: it, it was very strange um for me smash it was was always about the music so seeing so many tv stars and film stars in there that felt very alien and it's also that that um emphasis very much on the the visual side of it hmm. the photos are absolutely center stage and and in some places it almost feels like some of the writing, some of the text is is secondary. Mm. And I think we certainly see that with, with the lyrics. But undoubtedly, at it's heart. It's a, a pop music magazine mm. and that is still there. And that was the reassuring, comforting thing, particularly with Sylvia Patterson mm. still being there. So that was that was the familiar thing, and that was that was the thing that that I kind of uh, I grabbed hold of, and kind of clung to that. <laughs> I recognise this part, <laughs> Laura. How was it for you going back and and looking at this and sort of being being reunited with this issue that that meant so much to you?
2: Yeah, it's 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 been a real joy actually. And it really has. That that rereading. So I mean, that Mannix interview, obviously you know, is really important to me. And rereading it was lovely because it's exactly as good as I remember it being. I Like I, I was reading it and I was thinking, I mean, I've read oh, hundreds, if not thousands of Manics interviews since then. I mean, just more than you can possibly imagine. As soon as I started to get enough money, I would buy any magazine that had even the tiniest like postage stamp size bit about the manics in it, I would buy all of them. So I've read pretty much everything that's been in the UK press about them since then. I don't know if anyone ever nailed them as well as that interview does. It's just it's so perfect. It, you know, it's it's just this little um, amazing not only an amazing time capsule of a moment in a, you know, in a band, um, and a really momentous moment for that band that obviously would change so much through the years whenever we lost Richie and the rest of it. Um so it's this beautiful time capsule, but it also still is just as exciting and as and filled with kind of passion and joy. And that's lovely. And re- looking back at it, genuinely it does, I hadn't really realized, and it's kind of not part of my narrative of who I am as a person and, and who I am as a writer to think so much about how much the smash hits taught me how to do magazines. But when I've gone back and really reread them, it's absolutely what I think a really good magazine should be, even now. I, just, I think that that's, yeah, I mean, maybe not, you know, maybe not exactly the kind of, definitely not the fonts, but maybe not the kind of, <laughs> the the kind of specifics of it, but that real sense of belonging, that sense of community, that sense of being welcoming um, to your people, it does that so well. And If any magazine has the ability to do that and to touch people's lives and to make people feel warm and uh, challenged and like there's exciting things on the frontier, then that magazine is winning.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yeah.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Laura. You were brilliant. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Honestly, it's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, so it's been an absolute pleasure to have the chance to talk to both of you. Oh,
0: (laughs) that's warmed the cockles of me (laughs) heart
2: heart's warmed all round
0: absolutely (laughs) thanks again laura and thanks to you for listening don't forget to check out our website giddypoppod.home.blog where you'll also find the links to the edition of smash it that we've been looking at along with those spotify and youtube playlists for that extra layer of experience and you can of course check out the playlists and scans for our previous episodes while you're there If you want to support us by buying us a coffee, we'd be forever in your debt. ko-fi.com slash giddypoppod is where you can go to do that. And before we say goodbye, just to let you know that we're taking a little break while the carousel undergoes some essential maintenance and repairs. So we'll be back with new episodes in the new year, but that doesn't mean you have to be a stranger. You can still come and say hello to us at Giddypoppod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, we'll say hello back. So thanks once again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Giddy Carousel of Pop. Bye! Ta-ta! Cheerio!
1: The time is 12.26. On Thursday, the 27th of February, the Bendy Monsters are playing
0: at the Hallamshire Hotel. What a name that is. And if there are any sporty types in the college, every Tuesday between 12 and 1 p.m., there is trampolining and volleyball in the sports hall. This is NCR bringing you the sound of the bass heads. Is there anybody out there?